Well, I want to go on record and say that this is going to be the shortest sermon that I've ever preached. Now, if you've heard me preach before, you know that's not saying much, right? But um, I do think that this will be this, uh, one of the shortest sermons that I've ever preached. But tonight, you also might pray one of the longest prayers you've ever prayed. I want for you to hold this reality in your mind. Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, the maker of heaven and earth, the one in whom all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. Jesus, with all of God's power, all of God's strength, all of God's ability at his disposal. He has access to legions of angels. He is the greatest orator, the greatest leader, the greatest strategic thinker the world has ever known. Jesus would make Steve Jobs' keynotes look like a Bob Ross painting, okay? Like Jesus is a brilliant mastermind of a leader. Jesus has the ability to bring every single strategy, plan, or vision in his heart to fruition. And yet, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 people, two by two, 36 teams of two people to go into every town, village, and place that he was getting ready to go. And he sent these people primarily, first and foremost, to pray to pray, not to preach, not to share the gospel, not to make disciples, not to serve the poor or cast out demons, not to perform miracles or set up an info booth, not to pass out flyers or start a nonprofit, to pray. He actually says, greet no one on the road. Don't even talk to people. Don't stop and share your faith. Don't do a quick spiritual survey. Don't invite them to church, just pray, pray, pray. Jesus looks at these 72 people and he says that there is this vision that I have in my heart that is bigger than you could ever begin to imagine what is getting ready to happen. You could not even begin to dare to dream. The harvest is so plentiful, it is so abundant. What you're getting ready to be a part of is going to shape history. It is going to shake the gates of hell. It is going to change every square inch of the world as you know it. It is going to touch every square inch of this planet. And so I want for you to know they're getting ready to be more stories than you could imagine, more rescue stories, more redemption stories, more multiplication stories. There are gonna be more miracles performed than you could imagine. There are going to be more sermons preached than you could ever dare to dream. And so I want for you to begin first and foremost by doing this one thing. You wanna know how it's all gonna happen? Pray, pray. Jesus standing at a foundational moment in his ministry says that this is all going to be built on prayer, sustained with prayer, fueled by prayer in Jesus' eyes. Prayer is what paves the way. Prayer is what tills the ground. Prayer is what readies the soil. Prayer is what moves God's heart. Prayer is what takes those kingdom laborers who are underground and pulls them to the surface for the sake of the harvest. It all begins with prayer. And church, look right at me. I believe that Jesus is getting ready to move through our town. He is getting ready to pass through our city. He is getting ready to show up in our generation. And I believe that our call is a call to prepare the way with prayer. Last week, in light of us being 10 years away from the 2000 year anniversary of Jesus' great commission, we rolled out a 10 year vision for our church. And was it last week epic? 
Last week was insane as we got to see all that we're going to get to be a part of. We saw epic videos, hype crowds, original songs, 10 initiatives, talking about reaching tens of thousands of people. We talked about international churches, unreached people groups, 384,000 bold gospel conversations. We talked about serving the poor, the prisoner, the orphan. We talked about millions of dollars being given for kingdom impact. But I want for you to know tonight that not a single bit of it is going to happen without prayer. Now, let me say something that's a little bit more provocative than that, because I think that's what you expect a pastor to say. It's going to take prayer. It's going to require prayer. We need prayer. But let me say this tonight. I don't want it without prayer. I don't want to give the next 10 years of my life to something that can just be brought about by human ingenuity, by careful planning, and by strategic decision-making. If that's what I want, then I'll just go sell Cutco knives, okay? Or some other weird multi-level marketing plan that involves strategic thinking and human ingenuity and just good old-fashioned effort. I'll just give my life to, you know, moving some essential oils. But that's not what I want. I want to give the next 10 years of my life to something that cannot be explained apart from a supernatural move of Almighty God, don't you? Don't you want to know that it was something that was impossible, something that was unimaginable, something that could not happen unless he moved? I came across a quote this week by a great prayer warrior from the 1800s named Samuel Chadwick that sent a lightning bolt through my soul. This is what he said. Samuel Chadwick said, oh, to be known at the throne. It's a little sentence. Might not mean much to you when you see it, but when I saw that, oh, to be known at the throne, there was something inside of me that just started to shake. It was like a lightning bolt went straight through my soul. And I started to think, it got me thinking, like what if we don't achieve this 10 year vision thing? Like. And, and maybe some of it was just like buyer's remorse, right? Because as I rolled all of this out last week and I started to think, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Like, this is a lot, this is a big aspirational vision. And what if it doesn't happen? What if we don't achieve it? What if it doesn't come to fruition? What if they never write about us in any Christian history book? What if we never put out Elevate City worship records that the whole world sings? What if we don't launch 10 campuses? What if we don't raise up 10,000 disciple makers? What if 100,000 kids and students never experienced Jesus at camp? What if very few, few people ever know the name Elevate City Church? But what if, what if we are known at the throne of heaven? What if, what if heaven knows our name? What if our intercessor Our great high priest, King Jesus, knows us as the praying, the pleading, the prevailing church. What if he knows us as the people who really believe his presence is more precious than life? Who believe that real power, real transformation, real breakthrough cannot be manufactured through systems or strategies or by hard work with our hands, but by how dependent we are on our knees. What if we're known? as people of prayer. I really believe this. This is gonna come up on the screen. The power and the longevity of our movement. Whoa, I don't know what that's supposed to say. (laughs) 
but the power and longevity of our movement will be determined by the intensity and frequency of our prayers. And I want for you to begin to believe that too, that the power and longevity of our movement will be determined by the intensity and the frequency of our prayers. We will accomplish more in a year through prayer than we will in a hundred without it. If we fail at prayer, we will fail at everything else. And we won't just fail at everything else in this vision or in these initiatives. We will fail at everything else in life. I want for you to know tonight that that's not just an organizational reality. It's an individual reality. If you fail at prayer in your life, you will fail at everything else. I don't care how big your bank account is, how big your net worth is. I don't care if you climb the ladder, you check the boxes, you see the seven wonders of the world. I don't care if you marry your dream spouse and you live in your dream house. If you do not understand the power and the primacy of the presence of God, you will fail. You will fail at life. This whole series is not just about a 10-year vision for our church. It's really about a 10-year vision for your life. I'm trying to offer you a new paradigm to see reality over the next 10 years where you align and you go, no, this is what my heart beats for. This is what I'm running after. And so really today, we're standing at a great intersection, if you will, an intersection of the past, standing in the middle of the present and looking into the future and wondering about what our lives will be. We're looking back on the last 10 years, leaning in towards the next 10 years and saying, what will God do with our small surrendered lives? And so I want for you to think for a second. I want for you to imagine right now your feet firmly planted at a crossroads moment in history. And I want for you to imagine that Jesus is coming to you in Luke chapter 10. And he's saying, I wanna come. I wanna move in to your 2023. I wanna pass by your 2024. I wanna invade your 2025. I wanna show up in the little hidden spaces of your 2026 and 2027 and 2028 and 2029 and your 2030 and 2031 and 2032. And I I wanna step into your 2033. And there are places I wanna meet you. There are miracles I wanna perform. There's a harvest I wanna bring about in your life, but your prayers are going to be the seed that produces that harvest and the plow that paves the way for it. It's gonna happen through prayer. I want for you to suppose for a second that this decade, you got all the prayers that you prayed the last decade. I want for you to suppose for a second that the next 10 years would be what you prayed for in the previous 10 years. How excited would you be about the next 10 years? I want for you to imagine for a moment that God began to move in in accordance with your prayers. Your life will not exceed your prayer life. The reason that you exist is fellowship with the living God. It is the primary purpose that you are alive. And that is the primary thing that you experience in prayer. Miracles, power, breakthrough. That's all the byproduct of what we experience when we become people of his presence. It's so interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. We pay Hollywood millions of dollars to take us into the adventure on screen when God offers us a free invitation to come see what he'll do with our life when we become people who meet him in prayer. You will wander this earth with no direction until you learn that what is found in the presence and in the secret place and in the life of prayer is ultimately what you're searching for. This is how Jesus lived. 
if you want to be a person who follows Jesus, then you want to be a person who follows him into the secret place. You want to be a person who follows him into a life of prayer. The Bible records Jesus praying 25 different times throughout the Gospels. John 17 is an entire chapter of the Bible that's devoted to Jesus praying. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 says this, Jesus often, meaning regularly, consistently, habitually, withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Luke 6, 12 says, one of those days, Jesus went on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God, meaning that at least one night Jesus prayed all night. Isaiah 54 says this, it's this beautiful messianic prophecy about Jesus' life. And it says, morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught, indicating that every morning, the very reason the Messiah woke up was to pray. What if you saw the vision of your life? What if you saw this as the vision of your life? The vision of your life being to be a person of prayer. What if you knew I've got to get to the secret place? Before I watch the news or check my phone, I must be with the Lord. What if there was this tenacity in you around prayer, this violent removal of anything and everything that stood in the way of you being with God, talking with God, listening to God, offering up prayer to God? I really want for you to catch a vision for your life today on this September afternoon where the next 10 years of your life became the most powerful years you've been alive. And they were the most powerful years, not because of ingenuity or because of hard effort or because you finally got to that place in your career, but because you became a person of prayer. What if the next 10 years, imagine this with me for just a second. What if the next 10 years are filled with the most prayerful days you could ever imagine? What if the next 10 years of your life, 10 years from now, you've become the most prayerful person you know? What if 10 years from now, there was no intimidation surrounding prayer? What if 10 years from now, you would gladly pray out loud? What if 10 years from now, you wouldn't just pray out loud, but you loved praying in secret? What if there was no more seeing prayer as a duty, but as a delight? What if 10 years from now you understood effectual prayer, persistent prayer, intercessory prayer, prayer in the spirit, prayer for the harvest, prayer for healing, prayers of thanksgiving, listening prayer. What if you've become a person of prayer, a prayer warrior, a prayer giant? What if that happened in your life? You know, it must, if you wanna become the kind of person that I know that you wanna be. There was one pastor who said, you will not find great men or women of God who are not great men and women of prayer. They were known as men or women of God because they were men and women of prayer. It is prayer that makes ordinary men and ordinary women into men and women of God. You wanna know the secret sauce? of how pastors become pastors, of how leaders become leaders, of how movement maker, of, of how people who've sh sh shook history become those kind of people, the great revivalists, the Mother Teresas, the Charles Haddon Spurgeons, the Martin Luthers, the Billy Grahams, they became people of prayer. It doesn't happen with hard work, it happens with people who get on their knees. In Jesus' eyes, prayer, is the seed of every great harvest. In Jesus' eyes, prayer is the starting point of every great vision. In Jesus' eyes, prayer is the beginning of every great life. So let me give it to you. 
Here's the vision. Initiative one out of 10 over the next 10 years. Over the next 10 years, we want to become a people of prayer. By 2033, we see us becoming a nonstop house of prayer. Let me hear you say house of prayer. So Jesus said that my house will be called a house of prayer. In Matthew 21, 13, Paul said, pray without ceasing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, the early church devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 2, 42, we have a vision to do the same. We want to be the kind of place and the kind of people who adopt a mindset of prayer. Um, prayer has kind of been a part of our church, but over the next 10 years, you're going to see that prayer is essential within our church. We envision a day where people are preoccupied with prayer more than they're preoccupied with anything else. Let me tell you why. David, who wrote the Psalm 63, where we get this idea from, that we would become a house of prayer who truly believes his presence is better than life. David wrote that. And David was called a man after God's own heart. And you probably know that. And David wrote many of the Psalms or the prayers in the Bible, the prayer book of the Bible that was written by this man named David. But did you know this? Did you know that the very first thing that David did when he took the throne of Israel in Jerusalem was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? And David took that Ark and he set it up in a tent and he commanded Asaph, the song leader, along with specifically uh, trained singers and musicians to worship the Lord before the Ark of the Covenant day and night. This is in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, if you want to go and read it later. David had 288 singers and musicians whose sole job was to worship and pray to the Lord before the Ark. There were 24 worship teams that were all led by a family elder, each with 12, uh, with 12 members each who served the Lord in this manner. The worship and prayer meeting was the centerpiece of David's government. It was the center of the nation of Israel, the entirety of his reign. The number of singers and musicians ultimately grew to 4,000 people. Consider the implications of this. Consider a government who has such an emphasis on worship and prayer that 4,000 worshipers, singers, and prayers were financially underwritten to worship the Lord day and night. It was in this place that, of worship that the majority of the Psalms of David were written. David's tabernacle started a new order of worship that didn't previous, previously exist on earth, God gave David the vision to match the throne room in heaven worship on earth. It was truly on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what David does. David commits to being a man of prayer. He has a heart of prayer. All he wants to do is to have everything in his nation, everything in his kingdom revolve around prayer. Well, David took the kingdom to heights that it had never been before. David multiplied the kingdom. He stretched its boundaries, he conquered armies, he grew the treasury. In, a Saul, in a 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, it says this about David. It says, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. I wonder if the reason that David is one of the only kings that you can name, I wonder if the reason that David took the kingdom further than any king had taken it before. I wonder if the reason that David has like half of a book of the Bible just with his thoughts and 
meanderings and musings, I wonder if the reason that David is known as a man after God's own heart, I wonder if the reason that Jesus sits on the throne of David, and I wonder if the reason that Saul struck down his thousands, but David multiplied it and struck down his ten thousands is because he knew that the secret of multiplication happened in the place of prayer. You want to see multiplication happen in your life? You want to see power burst forth like you could never imagine? You want to see the boundaries of your life start to get stretched beyond your wildest dreams? Determine today, my house will be a house of prayer. I'm going to be the kind of person who's obsessed with the secret place. I'm going to be the kind of person who believes that this is where the power is really found. Let me show you this from the life of Jesus very quickly. Matthew 14, 16 says this. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Now, you know this story. It's the story where Jesus is on a mountainside. 5,000 people have gathered. Jesus has been preaching all day long. People are hungry. The disciples are worried that people are going to go away. And so they go, Jesus, these people, we got to feed them. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Verse 17, they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Now order, now watch what happens here. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So go with me on this multiplication math. Five loaves, one blessing feeds 5,000 people. I've got five things to offer the Lord, just five. I offer it to him in prayer. He takes the five, he multiplies it into 5,000. What happens in the middle? Prayer. So here we are, small group of people with a massive vision for what God's gonna do over the next 10 years. I can tell you that what's going to stand between our vision and multiplication is us becoming people who are devoted to prayer. This house becoming a house of prayer. J. Edwin Orr says this, he says, history is silent about revivals, awakenings, or movements that did not begin with prayer. Jonathan Edwards, he was the leader of the Great Awakening, which I've spoken about at length here. And he wrote a book during that time, which I've talked about before, but I wanna bring it up again. He wrote a book with the greatest title of a book that you've ever heard. This is the title of that book. He says, a humble attempt to promote the explicit agreement and visible union of all God's people, an extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom. If that's not a title for a book, I don't know what is. I think that's a book, not just a title for a book, but that's the title. I want to write a book and it's a humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of all God's people, an extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Do you know why he wrote that book? Because Edwards knew this. Edwards knew that it wasn't his job or any other pastor's job to start a movement or to bring awakening or to spark revival. That's God's job. It was his duty as a pastor and a leader to do what he could to get people to pray, to build a house 
of prayer. And that's what today is. I just want for you to know that if you're wondering, Joe, what are we doing here tonight? Tonight is my humble attempt to promote an explicit agreement and visible union of all God's people and extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom. That's what I'm here to do tonight. I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to just even inspire you. I am here to try to promote in a humble way, an explicit agreement and total unity all God's people, an extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Because I don't believe it's gonna happen with really great messages or really great slogans or really great songs. I believe it's gonna happen when God's people determine we're gonna become the kinds of people who pray. Before God does a great work, he sets his people to pray. Hudson Taylor says this, he says, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. I'm gonna say that again because some of y'all went to a public school, okay? When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. I want to see an intensification of prayer in our church and in your life. I wanna see a multiplication of prayer, extraordinary prayer. I want for us to truly become a house of prayer. So let me answer this question really quick and then we're gonna pray. What is extraordinary prayer? Joey, what do you mean by that? What would it look like for us to become a house of prayer? Oh, well, let me tell you. A house of prayer looks like a people who have packed out 6 a.m. prayer meetings on Monday and Wednesday, not just the devoted few. A house of prayer looks like morning, midday, and evening prayer gatherings. Extraordinary prayer looks like a church who does a church-wide fast in a prayer meeting the first Monday of every month that aren't led by staff, but by the people who are hungry to gather and pray. It looks like prayer meetings that last till midnight. It looks like everyday revolutionaries skipping their lunch break and going to pray instead. It looks like church services that end, but altars that remain full. It looks like people who don't say, I'll pray for you later when I get home, but who say, I must pray for you right now. It looks like, it looks like where it's normal to pray before we call the doctor and it's normal to pray in the middle of an argument with our spouse and it's normal to see people praying for one another with a hand on them in the lobby before service. It's normal to um, be praying to have people praying during the service, for the service, that God might move in the service. It's normal for husbands to pray for their wives before they go to bed. It's normal for dads to pray for their families before they leave the home in the morning. It's normal. That's what extraordinary prayer would look like. That's what it would look like for us to become a house of prayer. And this is what we long for. This is what we desire. This is the vision that we see. We want to create a climate of prayer within our church where prayer is like breathing where it's so normal for people to pray, where it's so normal for people to fast. We wanna see an increase, not just in the amount of prayer, but in the passion of prayer, where there's this real life dependence on God. I want for you to imagine, because this is, this is where I'm trying to lead you as your pastor. I want for you to imagine that 10 years from now, that you've gotten to a place where and that our church has gotten to a place where every single one of us commit, resolve, and determine together that we will joyfully spend the first hour of our day in the secret place with the Lord because we truly believe that his presence is better than life. 10 years from now, that's my goal for your life because it is the domino that all other dominoes fall on. 
I want for you to imagine, like, you want to catch a vision for your life. Start to work towards this goal that maybe, maybe for some of you overachievers, it's a year from now. But where every single one of us, 10 years from now, we joyfully wake up. And before we do anything, before we watch the news, before we hop on the treadmill, before we make breakfast, we joyfully spend the first hour of our day in the secret place with the Lord because we know that the secret place is the powerful place. The secret place is the place that moves heaven and earth. The secret place is the place that breakthrough is found. The secret place is the place that peace is found. The secret place is the place that life is found. I want for you to imagine us heading in that direction. Now, that's what I know is you've probably, like hearing that probably overwhelms you. And you can't even, you're like, Joey, I struggle to pray for a minute, much less 60 minutes throughout the day or for the first part of my day. And I would imagine that in light of that, you've probably heard a lot of teaching about prayer. You've probably heard why we should pray. I've probably told you how we should pray, when you should pray, what attitude you should pray with. You've probably heard what topics you should pray about and what order you should pray in. You've probably heard that you need to pray in faith or that God won't hear your prayers. And if you want God to answer your prayer, you've got to like squint your face and have passion and say, Father God, like 10 times on repeat. You've probably heard, you know, all these things about prayer. But this is what I know. I know it in my bones. I know it in my soul. There is no way to learn to pray but by praying. There is no way to learn to pray but by praying. I could stand up here tonight and I could lecture you for hours upon end about how to pray and what to pray. But there is no way to learn to pray but by praying. Samuel Chadwick says this. No reasoned philosophy of prayer ever taught a soul to pray. The subject is beset with problems, but there are no problems of prayer to the man who prays. Really try to study this. They are all met in the fact of answered prayer and the joy of fellowship with God. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, and if prayer waits for understanding, it will never begin. We live by faith. We walk by faith. Edison wrote in 1921, we don't know the millionth part of 1% about anything. We don't know what water is. We don't know what light is. We don't know what gravitation is. We don't know what enables us to keep on our feet when we stand up. We don't know what electricity is. We don't know what heat is. We don't know anything about magnetism. We have a lot of hypotheses about these things, but that is all. But we do not let our ignorance about all these things deprive us of their use. We discover by using, we learn by practice. Though a man should have all knowledge about prayer and though he understand all mysteries about prayer, unless he prays, he will never learn to pray. Now, you should go back and watch this sermon 10 times this week and write down that quote and study it. Here's the synopsis of it. Until you begin to pray, you will never become a person of prayer. I could educate you on all of its mysteries. I could teach you about the right way and the wrong way. I could give you a proper theology of prayer. I could inspire you with stories of prayer. I could teach you the right technique of prayer. I could tell you the way that you've been praying wrong. I could teach you to pray the Lord's Prayer. And all of that would be all fine and good. But until you pray, you'll never become a person of prayer. And if you don't become a person of prayer, 
we will never become a house of prayer. And so I thought the best thing that I could do on a day like today, the start of 10 years of vision for our church, and a big part of that vision, us becoming a house of prayer, would be to not just talk about prayer or teach you about prayer, but to give you space to pray. More space than maybe we've given you before. More space than you're probably even gonna be comfortable with right now. You know, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And I asked myself this week, if a stranger came off the doors of the street and they walked into our church, would they say, yeah, that church is called a house of prayer? Or would they say it's called a house of preaching or a house of singing or a house of sitting or a house of doing? Or would they say, no, that house is called a house of prayer? My prayer is that tonight they would. You know, we already pray a lot but we're gonna start to pray more. You may or may not know this, but we meet at 425 every single week before the service to pray for the service. We'd invite you to join us. We pray a group of us that before any one of you walk through these doors, we're praying for you. Come, come join us, 425, we pray. Most of our services open with prayer. Most of our services close with prayer. We have a prayer team at our altar after every single service that would love to pray for you. They've been pray, trained in how to pray for you. If you walk up and you ask for prayer, they're gonna ask you one question. How can I pray for you? Worship leaders pray in between songs. Pastors often pray to start messages. We have corporate prayer at the end of our service where we pray for our lost friends who don't yet know Jesus. We do Monday morning men's prayer every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Wednesday women's prayer every single Wednesday at 6 a.m. But in the future, we see this house becoming a house full of so much more prayer. I see that starting tonight. So this is what's getting ready to happen is I'm gonna walk off the stage. It's gonna be you room full of people somebody up here on the keys and an opportunity for you to pray I don't know how long it's going to go for I don't know when the team's going to walk up and sing our final song but in this moment I want for somebody to walk in that door for them to go oh wow they are a house of prayer so maybe right now you're so intimidated because you don't know where to start you don't know what to say. You don't know where to even begin. And so what I would tell you is pray what you got. Pray what's on your heart. Pray what the spirit brings to your mind. If it comes to your mind, it's not an accident. It's because the Holy Spirit wants it there. I believe that. If you're still searching, grab this card and you start to pray it. Pray it out loud. Pray it over yourself. Pray it line by line. Maybe tonight, you know what you need is you need the altar. So during this time, if you wanna come forward, you can come forward. You can ask God to make your house a house of prayer, to teach you to pray, to lead you in prayer, to make you a temple that His glory dwells in. Ask Him to teach you the language of prayer. If you don't know what to pray, pray for the person on your left, the person on your right, the person behind you, and the person in front of you. Maybe tonight, let it start with silent prayer. And then let it build with quiet prayer. And let it build with a concert of prayer where you're praying from like your soul, you're praying your guts, you're praying your cries and your wants and your desires. Maybe pray and confess sins. Maybe pray and ask God to invade. Maybe pray for healing. Maybe pray for the mission trip. But just 
Just say, God, tonight I dedicate my life in the next 10 years to becoming a person of prayer and to this being a house of prayer for the nations, for the glory of the name of Jesus. Come on, would you pray with me?